Welcome back to Novel Approach, episode 10 for the 28th of July, 2022, with your host, James Soden, special guest, M. Catherine Bunton. Yeah, I want to welcome you to Novel Approach. This is your host, Jim Soden. Uh, last week, we had Molly Bunton, a local St. Louis writer, with us, talking about uh, her children's books and her rainforest uh, series. And so I've invited her back today. She's graciously accepted uh, my invitation. And today uh, she's going to tell us about uh, her Stargirl trilogy, uh, which is a, an exciting um, series of books following one character and looking at uh, the influence of that character um, on a lot of other different things in our lives. And so I want to welcome Molly back to our program. Molly, welcome back. It's good to, Hi, I'm glad to, to hear be you here again, Jim. So, and we're going to uh, hear about uh, the Stargirl trilogy today. Is that right? Well, that's right, because I would think once you meet Stargirl, you sure want to know more about her. She's quite a gal, Jim. Yes, you she know, is. I, I have only <laughs> met her through the books, but she is quite a gal. So, well, why don't you meet her in person, for heaven's okay. sake? <laughs> in the in the rainforest series that we talked about last week, the children's books. Um, as I mentioned, the little maestro needed help to get the children to understand that they needed to take up the idea of saving the rainforest, just like he took up the idea. So the help he got came from above. A little star girl went to the queen, the queen of the skies, and asked if she could come down and help him. Well, that was pretty unusual. She was a vibrant part of a constellation. She was the northernmost star in the constellation Virgo. And, of course, her scientific name is Vindimiatrix. Well, I didn't think that was going to sell with children too much. So... She became just Stargirl for her young years. Now that changes later, but I'll let you in on that later. So Stargirl comes down, and she has a tumultuous trip to a certain extent. And the trip down from the northernmost star in the constellation Virgo to the Earth is a journey in and of itself. And it's, it's really a lot of fun who she meets on her journey and how she gets here. Well, she lands in a farmer's field, luckily on a haystack. She was not hurt at all. So the children in a nearby schoolhouse knew something was going on. They rushed out to the farmer's field 
And she greeted the children, talked to them about why she was here, and did something really exciting. She said, I'm going to show you physically how to work in harmony like the constellations where I come from. Well, the children were pretty excited about that. She told each of them to lie on the ground in a certain shape. And she connected the children lying on the ground in that shape with pieces of hay. Lo and behold, they made the shape of the constellation Virgo. And it shone back to the skies. And the queen was happy because the queen knew she was doing a good job. And the children loved her and always wanted to see her again. So that was the beginning of the Star Girl story. And somewhere in me as a writer, uh, it, it didn't say anything less about the little maestro or the butterfly peddler, but I knew Star Girl had a career in front of her. By golly, she was going to appear again. So what happened was another character came to fruition, a character called the writer. No other name, just the writer. And the writer seems to be a more mature, older relative in some way. And so the writer and Stargirl come together. But by the time they do, Stargirl is older. She's become a young lady. And Stargirl goes by the name Iris. Iris is a beautiful flower that blooms every spring and gives us such hope. It's a trinity of flower that blooms with three pieces. And Stargirl herself is a trinity in many ways, which you find out in the current book I'm writing. So you'll have to wait for that. But anyway, Iris and the writer come together in a new genre, separate from the children's books, and it's in a play. They come together on stage to talk about how wonderful it is to be in part made of stardust. It has certainly always astounded me as a writer uh, as a human being to think that there's a table of periodical elements. There's only so many elements in nature. And my goodness, we are all made of a certain mix, certain components of those elements. So that when the stars were made, wherever and whenever, which uh, it looks like our new web telescope is going to tell us about, they have carbon, helium, other elements, 
we share some of those stardust elements in our own human body. And Stargirl knew that she needed to get that message across to people because where she comes from, being made of stardust is so important because that's where you get your mojo. That's where you get your creativity. Stardust in us is an underrated commodity, Jim. It is really something that allows us, I say uh, in my own life, as a writer. I call on my stardust, and I concentrate, and I meditate, and all of a sudden, I can create. So I call it your stardust chamber, where the words come from for a writer. And we all have that. Even if you chose not to be a writer, but to be a, a CPA or anything else, you still have a stardust chamber that helps you stay motivated and stay creative, create new things, be novel, like the novel approach, which is a glorious name for your podcast. Um, so the play they put on, uh, Iris and the Writer, was so fascinating uh, just like Stardust has always fascinated me, that members of the audience were just intrigued. They were turned on. And one by one, they started standing up and interacting with the writer and Iris about how Stardust probably was the key that helped them in their own profession. You had various people in the audience. You had a a doctor, a pharmacist, all a minister, all kinds of people saying, right, this is what Stardust has done in my life. And those characters were so dynamic that, of course, they stuck. And we found them in the third book of the trilogy. The third book of the trilogy highlights who but the queen, of course, because the queen is the girl who invented stardust. The queen is everybody's mother, and she's the goodness at the heart of your stardust chamber. The girl who invented stardust is a novella. We, once again, being a creative writer and hoping that we can always show the world how we can create is a new genre for us. So we've moved from a children's series to a play and now to a novella. And it includes the characters that stood up at the play. It includes them. Of course, Iris herself and her love interest, which is Halo. Halo is a nickname, and it stands for Hal O'Rourke Halo. Um, I think Halo's quite a good guy, and I'm sure he's based on a character called Greg, who is my husband. So there's that. Now, in The Girl Who Invented Stardust, once again, 
we find Iris in her apartment doing her thing. And we learn that Iris has become a teacher. Iris teaches literature at the local community college. Uh, my own wife may have a little influence on that, but we'll keep going with it. So Iris, in her apartment, is bothered one day by noise outside her door. And she doesn't know why. Um, well, spoiler alert, the reason why is that there's a group of kind of bad people out there who don't like harmony and who don't like the teaching of children to learn to do the right thing. So they're out to get Iris. And Iris needs help. Iris calls on the writer and says, what do you think I should do? I really don't want any trouble. I'm not a person like that. This is an unusual happening in my life. Well, the writer, being uh, Iris's mentor and maybe older self and maybe guardian angel in a certain kind of way, she contacts an old friend of hers, a guy that is a part-time detective. His name is Halo. There he is. He shows up at her door. Iris says, I'm not answering the door. I had trouble. I don't know who you are. What's going on? He says, I was sent by the writer. I'm here to help you. Well, that's the beginning of a beautiful romance. And it comes through in the book in both poetry and prose. Well, how does Halo by himself go up against these bad people? Well, of course, he calls on a group that he's been a part of. They are called the sleuth hounds, an old-fashioned term that means a bunch of amateur detectives who will help him figure out what's going on here. Turns out the sleuth hounds are all the people that emerged in the audience at the play that Iris was in. They know Iris, and they grew to love her because they knew she was just out there to do the right thing. So the sleuth hounds and Halo help Iris get the bad guys, okay? During the course of all of this, you get to visit with Iris in her classroom. And what actually happens in the middle of the book is you get to sit in on one of Iris's classes. And it's really enjoyable because Iris knows like quite a bit about literature. And she highlights so many famous historic writers uh, from Hawthorne on. And to read what she says about them is exciting. Well, lo and behold, her love interest, Halo, also had an interest in literature. And he says, why don't we co-teach some of these classes? Let's both of us get up there and tell our students about these other famous writers and about the importance of literature in their life. Well, 
he loves all kinds of writers. He loves Virginia Woolf. They take her on. They have a seminar for their students, and it's called a seminar in stardust. And so it's, it's kind of a happy ending whereby they catch the bad guys. They do wonderful things for their students by teaching together. And they come together at the end under the stars. Uh, there's a lot of poetry in the book. There's a lot of learning of literature in the book. Um, it's a it's a book for grown-ups, and it's a book for people who love um, to know about writers. Um, there's a piece on Agatha Christie, of course, which is one of their favorites. And they kind of just expound on writers that they enjoy and believe in. It's like when we read for pleasure, we find the books by writers that we really love and that can hold our interest. So that's kind of the story of the trilogy, how Stargirl becomes Iris, and with the help of her older self, the writer, really can become not just a writer, but a teacher of literature. Because the girl who invented Stardust was behind it all and is their mentor and guide. And you'll find that in the current book that I'm working on, um, as she gets older, we hear more from the writer, of course. And one of the essays is entitled, uh, Stardust on My Pencil. And that's where it all comes from, from that stardust chamber. So that's kind of that trilogy, Jim. And thinking about um, the uh, trilogy and thinking about how it relates to so many of the uh, other books, uh, there's a, not all, there's a multi-genre approach in almost all of them. Um, there's uh, poetry mixed in. There's uh, e even in the uh, backseat buddies where it's basically stories. Uh, there are poems that are mixed in, uh, and so it. Uh, and then of course here you've got uh, the play, uh, the novella, uh, all of it working together, and I think that combination is very interesting. Um, I think at one time you and I had talked and I mentioned that um, there are several other writers that um, that I like uh, who have done that kind of thing. Uh, one is Gene Toomer, uh, an African-American writer in the 20s, I guess, uh, in a book called Cain, where he does the same kind of thing, blending the, the different genres and uh, and tying it in with his characters. And it um, it's just so interesting because it uh, involves a, a reader in a different way as, um, as the person goes along. It's not just one sort of approach and one kind of... Uh, of 
interaction with the uh, material. So. Well, I agree. And I, as I said last week, uh, if I was going to bill myself as a creative writing teacher, I had to write creatively. And for me, the challenge was to take up every genre I could and try it and see if I could master it. Um, in the children's books, I almost felt like the idea of activity is almost a genre within a genre. It's, it's um, a whole separate set of things going on in a book other than the story itself that gives children a chance to create. So in my books, um, I also felt the personal challenge to not only be creative, but to give everyone a chance to learn how to write. Um, I think I mentioned to you that one friend who um, picked up one of my books recently and then decided to pick up another and then another said to me, oh, by golly, you're going to make a writer out of me yet. And I thought, great, that's the idea. I'm not in the classroom anymore. I'm rather retired from it. And I say rather because, you know, the idea of not teaching again is anathema. That's horrible. But if I can be a teacher in my books, that is whipped cream on top of the Sunday. That is a wonderful thing. So um, I hope everybody who picks up the books stick with them, take them one at a time, and do the writing thing along with me, and they'll get better and better. And I'll be reading their books someday. Quite possibly. And that is almost, in your books, almost... Um I don't know if it's a, a genre in itself or uh, certainly a technique. Most of the books have um, a place, have a, um, a sequence of places where the reader can respond to what they've just read. And I know you and I have talked about how it works so beautifully in print books, um, although it, it's a problem, I think, in uh, in the e-books, and something that uh, we'd like to probably overcome, and maybe some of the technology that's emerging now will allow people to to do that easier. I guess it's technically possible now, but uh, with with great difficulty. But right. uh, with the certainly with the print books, uh, they all have uh, pages where uh, the reader has uh, read a, a poem, a story, or, uh, an experience, whatever it is, and then is asked to respond with something of their own. And it it seems to me that like the thing that psychologists say that you learn better when you can apply different kinds of activities. If you can think about it, you know, you've got a mental activity going on. If you can, if it's something you can touch, there's a tactile 
uh, visual, uh, and of course maybe auditory, the more of those that uh, can be built into an experience, the more uh, involving and lasting the experience is. And that really happens with your books. Um, it's the reader is actually drawn in to the materials in a much different kind of way than if they were simply reading and saying, oh, that's nice, and then moving on. And I, and I think I, I appreciate that, and I hope that um, more of your readers do. And it sounds like at least the one uh, person who's read right. several of the books now and says, you're going to make me a writer yet is uh, having that experience. I can mention one page that I'm sure hit her uh, when she was reading A Gathering of Stardust, and as the members of the audience were really getting hyped up over this whole idea of being made of stardust and what it can do for you and all that, you come to a page in the book that says prompts find the stardust inside of me and so the reader gets to pause and answer questions have I ever tested my imagination what issues do I really care about and why what causes would I take up and argue for going deep in thought is entering my own stardust society. Is that right or wrong? What issues evoke an emotional response in me? Do I have the courage to reveal what I really think? Has stress ever affected me in any way? Of all the people I know, close or far, dead or alive, who would I most love to talk to? Now, those questions came along, and so do many other opportunities in this book to write your own thoughts. And as I say in one of my books, you can't be it till you see it. When you see the words there in front of you that you just created, well, my goodness, you look at those words and you say to yourself, is that what I believe? Well, there it is in black and white. And the, my books do give you a chance to kind of, in a psychological way, come out of yourself. Uh, I think every writer, I know certainly I had to come to grips with, okay, I'm going to put these words out there, and I'm going to let everybody see them, and I'm going to let uh, that everybody judge me on those words, and then how am I going to feel and think about that? It's kind of scary at first, mm -hmm. but you build up your courage over time, and then the words start flowing so fast you can't stop them anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, in uh, connection with that idea, you, you may be familiar with the quotation from E.M. Um, e. Forrester, um, uh, an English writer and, and critic, uh, who said, how do I know what I think till I see what I say? Okay, I think somebody then said this before me, Jim. <laughs> and maybe, actually, that's where I got it, because I am aware of him. So um, I think I have a, a little bit different take on it. But 
that's exactly what I'm saying. When you see what you think, it's uh, it can actually be a little disquieting, a little um, bit of a challenge to read it and accept it. So there are so many um, ways in which writing, becoming a writer, whether it's amateur, whether whatever, is enriching. It's just enriching. It's a dimension of ourself that is really a lot of fun to tap into. Creating characters was a glorious thing for me because I have enjoyed knowing my own characters. I marvel at writers that can create bad guys. I am incapable of creating a bad guy. So it's because the queen just didn't allow that in my life. But people that know how to do that, what they do is what I said before. They research. They find out how to do it. They're not bad guys, but they learn how to create them. Writing is magical. Well, Bill and I write about bad guys, so shall we send one or two over <laughs> for you to include in a future book? <laughs> okay, I'm going to keep my distance from you two now. That's all there is to it. <laughs> in, in fact, uh, there was one idea I had, and I mentioned it to uh, Bill. And for those of you who may remember, uh, Bill Sharp is my uh, uh, writing partner. And I do. Um, I had uh, I had come up with an idea and told him uh, about it, and he thought, "Oh, this is great!" And he took off and added to it some things that he that were uh, in the news at the time. And he came up with a couple of chapters, and I read them, and I said, "Bill, stop, stop." <laughs> We're moving from uh, detective uh, mysteries now to horror books. That's not our genre. <laughs> Leave it to Stephen King. <laughs> and so that would, uh, those two chapters or three, whatever it was, uh, are somewhere at the bottom of a desk drawer. It probably will remain there. So. Yeah, you may as well get into something where you got a chance. And I think Stephen King has got the corner on that market. <laughs> That's right. Yes, the corner of the of all the blocks and everything. The whole block. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of another show here, Molly. Any last thoughts today? Well, I guess that um, I would just say that they children's book series that we talked about last week was a beginning for me as a writer and that sticking with it paid off because one of the characters of the children's book series emerged as a major character uh, in my later writing and I'm so glad that I stuck with it and saw that that character could be developed. We talk about character development, that at the beginning of a story, a character can be a certain way, but then we hope by the end of the story that character has 
changed his ways and become a good guy and come to see life uh, in a, a better perspective. Well, my character started out good and got better. So uh, character development for me is part of my challenge as a creative writer to see just how far I can take a character and have my audience get to know them. So we'll see what's next. And all of those other things that we talk about as, as writers and editors with um, plot and uh, even tone, uh, style and so forth, ultimately it comes down to characters. Do, do you really have interesting characters uh, that people want to read about? And um, so they, they form the basis of the story. And um, you've certainly got a, a range of uh, very intriguing characters and ones who are growing and developing uh, in many cases. Well, Molly, I want to thank you for being here this week. We have, uh, you've agreed to come back next week. And then, of course, looking way down the line, um, a little bit of a tease here. I know that there is a multi-volume uh, book in the works. And uh, at some, some future time when that is finished, um, uh, or maybe even before it's finished, we can get together and, and talk about it. But for next week, uh, I will be looking at some more of your current uh, work. And so I want to thank Molly for being here. And then... Oh, sorry about that. Uh, she goes by... It's M. Catherine Bunton. <laughs> M. Catherine Bunton, yes. And so I want to thank all um, our uh, audience for listening. Uh, remember, this is... Uh, uh, the novel approach. Uh, if you find it interesting, we hope that you will subscribe to the podcast. And remember that it's brought to you by Bearhound Productions, uh, Something Different Network, and Uncommon Sense Radio 4.0, the podcast. And so this is Jim Soden thanking you for being with us this week. 